a few weeks ago, we launched our, our Christmas series. This really is the, the finale of that, largely because I got sick in the middle and couldn't finish. You know, and, and I wanted to say what I wanted to say. <laughs> you know, it, but we kind of launched that out of Luke chapter 2. And by the angel coming to herald the birth of Christ, I, I want to remind us of that scripture as we get started this morning, uh, starting in verse 10, Luke chapter 2. It says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And t- for today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How many of you know that right there is some good news? That's some good news. The, the angel declares to us, it's, it's good news of great joy. And the question that I posed was, do you believe that? Do you believe that the news of the birth of Christ is good news of, of great joy? And more pointedly, I asked the question, do you believe it so much that you're willing actually to share that message such that others outside of your, or in your sphere, outside of these walls, would be persuaded to follow Christ? They would be proselytized, is what we would call it. They would change their course, abandon what they're pursuing, and begin to pursue Christ. Do you believe so much that this message is good news of great joy, that you're willing to share it such that it results in the conversion of somebody who is following a completely different path. <laughs> and, and the obvious answer is, how could we believe anything other? Despite the, the, the current culture of the United States and, and what we see statistically with millennials and Gen Z, In terms of their apprehension, more than apprehension, their outright resistance of the idea that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I I would submit to you that it is an absolute necessity, that it's not something that we even can question. We can't question it. (laughs) We have to share our faith because it really, truly is that significant. I was watching a video my kids introduce all kinds of weird stuff to me, mostly bad, <laughs> but then again, they call me a boomer, so I guess that works out. <laughs> but I was watching this video, and, and uh, they, a couple of friends, they were, they were moving, or a friend was helping another friend move, maybe I should say it that way, and the, uh, the truck gets all loaded up, and the, the truck begins to take off to go to their destination, and you see the one friend who's traveling behind, and he's got the video rolling, you know, to mark this momentous occasion, you know, moving out of an apartment into a house, something like that, so we've got it on film, man, we're, we're you know, we're capturing history here, uh, but what he, with the friend who was driving the, the I was going to say RV, the moving truck, didn't realize was that he neglected to shut the back door and lock that hatch. And, and so as he begins to take off, you hear the guy, the, the friend in the background with his video running, going, no, 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 stop, 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 oh, ooh, as all of the contents rolled right out of the back of that truck and literally spread across the, you know, you, gotta, you get a distance before you finally see it all floating out the back of your truck, right? So, you know, he went a little ways before he realized, oh my gosh, you know, but can you imagine, like, like the, the, I, I want to submit to you this idea that the, the, the gravity that the gravity of, of, like, of the situation, of like what's at stake dictates to us the measure that we take to be able to intervene. And what I mean by that is, I'm sorry, ma'am, could you please get your phone under control? There? No, I'm just teasing. I, I knew she could handle it. That's otherwise I wouldn't tease her. <laughs> but seriously, no. 
You're recording. Oh, no. Uh, just strike that last part. You know, that'll be what goes on YouTube. <laughs> so the, the gravity of the situation uh, is what necessitates the level of response. Does that, does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so can you imagine in the sense in which, you know, you're helping a buddy move. You see that the back hatch, the door is wide open. All of his garbage just flies out the back stuff. He probably shouldn't have moved anyway, right? You know, and, and you don't say anything. Can you imagine the conversation afterwards? Right? Your, your buddy's like, wait, let me get this right. Like, you saw that the back door was open, that all my stuff was exposed and dumping out the back of the truck, and you didn't say anything? How could you not have said something? Right? Like, a good friend would have said something, don't you think? <laughs> Can you just imagine the situation, right? The gravity of what we're experiencing or, or what is coming necessitates our response. And so we have a response, we have a, a responsibility rather. In the case of salvation, is there anything more significant or more important than salvation? That's where you respond. <laughs> you scared me just for a second there, you know? Is, is there anything more important than one's salvation? I say no, not, not on this earth. I mean, we could talk about glorifying God and the sin, just centrality of Christ and those kinds of things, but I'm talking about for the sense of like humanity and the sense in which we would intervene for our fellow man. Like, is there anything more significant than salvation? The answer is no, because the reality of what we know to be true is that if we don't intervene, they're going to spend a lifetime in this place called hell. And it's hard for us to comprehend that, and we don't hear that message very often because, well, it's not so pleasant. But it's the truth of the gospel. It's, the tr- it's more than, I, I don't want to say more than that because that's the, the word of God. It's the power of God for those who believe. But I'm just saying, like, it's, like this, is, this is a big deal. Wouldn't you agree? Like me reserving, me going, man, I see that you're headed right now with your life the wrong direction. But as a good friend, I'm just going to sit back and let you head there. <laughs> good luck with that. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, if, if we would be like, no, no, stop, stop. You're going to lose your material possessions that you probably should have just donated anyways. Then why wouldn't we intervene in someone's life when it comes to the most critical thing that they will ever, the most critical decision they could ever make? See, by, by necessity, we, we must share our faith. And, and here's the other side of it. I, I would say, and I, and I believe the Apostle Paul actually speaks to both of these in Timothy, but, but the other side of it is this. Jesus is worthy of the reward of his suffering. Do you believe that today? So Jesus paid a price for me and for you, for everyone who ever was, for everyone who ever will be. And that was a significant and heavy price. We've talked about it many times. What kind of God is this who would leave his throne and come down and inhabit the body of his creation only to be led to the slaughter like a lamb for me and for you? Like he paid a significant price and he's worthy to get what he paid for. So there's the one sense where it's like, how could we not intervene? This is the biggest deal of you. You're going to go to hell if I don't intervene. I may be the only one to ever tell you the truth in your life. How could I not, for your sake, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? And the other side, again, just to reiterate, how could I not, for the sake of Jesus 
share the gospel with you. If he's the main thing, if he really is worthy, if he's everything to me, how could I not share the message of what he gave his life for? This is a big deal. We've got to get a hold of this because I'm here to tell you, not sharing your faith is one, not Christianity. Not sharing your faith is abnormal. See, it's become the normal in America. But it is not the norm that we find in Scripture. It's not the norm of what we've been called to. We've been deceived by a very real enemy who knows that if he can get you to keep your mouth shut, that people will go to hell and that Jesus will not get the reward of his suffering. That's the whole deal right there. He's out to seek you know, to, to those who he can to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's using and manipulating Christians to that end. And convincing us that the message that we've got is not relevant. Convincing an entire generation that it's not important to share the most important thing ever. Well, it's private. It's just for me. Said nowhere in the Bible ever. Like no verse ever. This is a huge thing. And we have to normalize it. And contrary to Pastor John Mark's terrible comment last week. (laughs) We do have to pray for the lost. (laughs) We do pray for the workers of the harvest. That was his point last week. But guess who the workers of the harvest are? Raise your hand. So good, three or four of you are listening. (laughs) You're the worker of the harvest that you're praying for. There's a few reasons that we pray. One is because we face a very real enemy. I know it's been a few weeks, but do you remember his tactics when it comes to salvation? There are two primary things that we hit on. I, I know, it's been, it's been a long time, so let's just jump right in. Number one, he blinds the eyes of your sphere of influence so that they won't accept the gospel. Here's where we find it at. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. I'm picking on Pastor John Mark, obviously, you know that. I know you do. (laughs) I know you do. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I want you to note really quick as we read that scripture that it's the enemy who's blinding their eyes to the gospel of truth. Like some have purported that, well, for some, you're just predestined to go to hell. You know, the scriptures actually don't say that. The scriptures make it clear that God doesn't prepare anyone to be a vessel of wrath. In fact, it says that it's our choosing. <laughs> that if we, as we choose Christ, we actually move from the vessel of wrath to one that's prepared for his glory, right? It's based upon everyone's decision, and we know that it's God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. That's God's will. There's, you can't, don't, don't get confused. That's God's will, 100%. And you're his partner in executing that, that plan, that message, in preaching that gospel to all of creation. See here, it's not God who's blinding their eyes to the gospel because of some predestined idea. It's the enemy. And you and I are charged with the responsibility to pray for those in our sphere of influence so that the work of the enemy will be thwarted. Remember, Jesus, as he's getting ready to depart, he's praying for his disciples and he says, God, I pray, Father, I pray that you will keep them from the enemy. You and I get to, we get to partner what Jesus modeled, praying over our sphere of influence. 
influence. Father, would you keep them from the influence of the enemy? Would you keep them from the distortion, from the confusion that he wants to bring? Would you keep them from, from having the word that's been sown in their hearts snatched away, which is the next thing? Keep them from having their minds deluded. We have a responsibility to pray for the lost. The next one we find is this. He steals the word out of their heart. The first one, he blinds their eyes. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Second one's out of Luke chapter 8, verse 12. It says, by the way, this is all just re- review. <laughs> Good news is, we don't have time, so, you know. Luke chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Those beside the road, this is the parable of the sower. This is a wonderful one to look back at just to refresh our minds on the way that this works. Those beside the road are, are those who have heard, so they've heard the gospel, but the devil comes and he takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So the devil actually intervenes here. You see that? So what would have happened had the devil not intervened? Well, it seems to indicate that the word would have actually planted in their hearts and they would have believed the gospel. But it says the enemy got in between that process. How many of you know you need to pray that the enemy doesn't get between that process? You need to pray that their eyes are not blind, uh, blinded. You need to pray that, they don't, that the enemy doesn't have the ability to rob from them, to steal what has been planted there by people like you. How many of you know we're all called to be seed sowers? The other thing that happens with prayer is this. It continually positions the lost in front of us. How many have ever gotten distracted and busy about the things of the world? And I don't mean that in the negative sense. I just mean we all have a life. We all have bills to pay. We all have kids. You know, right? Most of us have some animal. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have stuff. We have responsibilities to take care of. And we can get, we can get distracted in the, in the midst of, of, of those pursuits. And, and, and uh, like big allotments of time can elapse if we've not made it, made it a part of our normal life to press in in the place of prayer and, and, and intercede for those who are lost in our sphere of influence. Interceding for our sphere of influence continually brings them before me. And what does that do? Number one, God hears your prayers, and if he hears your prayers, he's answering them. Number two, if it keeps it in front of you, it keeps the responsibility in front of you. That it's not somebody else's charge, it's your charge. These in your sphere, they were given to you. Not to another, but to you. You have a responsibility. And when we intercede, it reminds us, yes, God. And it keeps it so much in the forefront of our minds that when opportunities come up with our sphere, we're more inclined to take advantage of those opportunities and share the gospel with them than what we ever would have been had we not been in the place of intercession and distracted by all of the busyness of life. Does this make sense? This is part of the reason why we have inserted this into our destiny groups. So I know a a large portion of this congregation that you are now embedded in destiny groups, but this is a piece of what we have put in there because it's so incredibly significant that we begin to normalize what's been lost in Christian culture in America. And so in their destiny groups, those of you who are a part of that, and those of you who aren't, you can just begin to implement this in your own lives just anyways, but you're going to be given an opportunity to think and consider, who do I know? Who am I rubbing shoulders with right now who don't know Jesus? 
And you're going to begin to be invited into a place where you're praying for the lost so that the enemy doesn't snatch them and the words that are being sown. And so that you can take advantage of opportunities more precisely, more strategically. This is part of why we put this into our destiny groups. Does that make sense? I want to say this. I'm opening with the emphasis on prayer. But prayer is not a scapegoat. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm an intercessor. I'm an intercessor, and you guys, you guys, you evangelists, you guys go share the gospel, and, and I'll stay back and pray. Anybody ever had those thoughts? <laughs> Can I just submit to you, prayer is not a scapegoat. You can't, you, like none of us are off the hook when it comes to sharing the gospel, none of us, regardless of your bent. And, and let me just say this. I would suggest to you that most people in this room today are not evangelists. You're probably not evangelists, but guess what? You're not off the hook. You're still required by the scriptures. We're still compelled, as John Mark said last week, by the love of Christ, which overflows into the love of people. We're compelled by love to share the gospel regardless of our bent, regardless of whether it's in or outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes the issue on the table is so important that you have to stand up here in front of a group of your peers and risk all of that you risk when you do that to share and help to direct and guide those that you love in the right direction. How many of you, sometimes you have to step outside of your comfort zone, and I'm suggesting to you that I get it. I get it. But you need to know this. The evangelist isn't the one who's supposed to go reach the lost anyways. Now, they do it naturally. That's why they're called an evangelist. But, and Pastor John Mark touched on this last week as well. But the evangelist actually is put in place in the body of Christ to equip you to do it. Right? So it's like I, I, like, I don't receive from the evangelist equipping because I'm an evangelist. I receive from the evangelist equipping because I'm a child of God. It, it doesn't matter what my bent is. By design, I'm supposed to actually receive from this gift. God calls it a gift from this gift in human skin called an evangelist, I'm supposed to receive from them, be built up in my faith, confident in this gospel, and encouraged, spurred on to this good work that I would influence my sphere. I am not off the hook, no matter what my bent, no matter whether I'm an intercessor or a pastor or whatever it is. I don't get to just choose one and go after that at the exclusion of all of the others. I'm actually meant as a, as a Christ one to operate in all five of those fivefold ministries. I am supposed to be apostolic. Why? Because God loves to build stuff and his kingdom is advancing. And the apostolic are builders. They build stuff. They advance the kingdom, right? He's called you to be pastoral. What is that? That means you care for people, right? Hasn't he called us to look outside of ourselves, to consider others as better than ourselves? Welcome to the pastoral. Pastors are put in place to teach us how to do that better. Evangelists, to evangelize better. Prophets. How many of you know the Bible says all will prophesy? My sons and daughters, all of them, they'll all prophesy in the latter days of which we are in. It calls us to, to stir it up on the inside of ourselves, to, to seek earnestly after the gift of prophecy, whether I'm a prophet or I'm just simply 
a child of God. I'm not off the hook. I'm required to go after all of these things. And honestly, this is where the church in America has gone wrong for many years now. We hire a pastor. Why? Because we don't want to do the work we want him to. Huh. You know, can you, just, can you just do everything and we'll come on a Sunday and receive from that? Isn't that... That would, be, that, would be, that, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Except it's not godly. Except it's off of God's design. Well, why did God put pastors in place then? To equip you. To do what? It says the work of the ministry. Well, I thought that's what pastors were doing, was the work of the ministry. <laughs> I thought that's why we hired you. No. It's not why you hired me. I'm not even a pastor after. Now you know. So you really missed the mark when you hired me elders. <laughs> if you wanted a pastor, you missed the mark. That's why I had to bring Misty on. Yeah, Misty is the official pastor. I am more apostolic. We're not off the hook. We're not off the hook with this thing called evangelism. We have a responsibility before God. You know, honestly, to, to, if you... If we are maturing in our faith, and if we love Jesus like we say that we love him, we have to share. And, and this is our vision here. Transform people, transforming communities. What do we mean by that? We mean when you encounter Jesus and your life is never the same again, you are compelled by nature of what you've experienced to share that with others such that they are exposed to that same transformation. And when we do that, God partners with us. His kingdom expands. The church grows and we win a city. How many of you want to win a city? <laughs> I want people to walk into our city and walk into the presence of God and not know what it is. Like, wow, it's just so peaceful here. That's just, this is just, this is great. I don't know what it is about Warrensburg, Missouri, but I just feel so amazing when I'm here. And there's this weird thing that always happens. Like every time I sit down at a restaurant, somebody comes up and asks if they can pray for me. It's, it's a little, I can overlook that though because the environment is just so amazing. What would that be like? What would that be like? What would it be like if people in our community couldn't go anywhere without one of you engaging them for the gospel? That's what I want to see. I want it, to, I want it so bad <laughs> that I want people to start, when it happens, I want them to go, oh, you're from that one church, aren't you? You're from Harvest. How many of you know this is not normal in Christianity right now? I asked to pray for Christians, and they're like, this is really weird. Why would it be weird? It's been weird because the enemy's duped us. He's lied to us, deceived us. And he's kept us from sharing the one thing that everybody's looking for, that everybody needs. <laughs> and I'm here to call us back into that. Amen? I want to remind you of the Barna study that I started reading off of a few weeks ago. He said this, The weekend church service is no longer the primary mechanism for salvation decisions. Only one out of ten believers who make a decision to follow Christ, does so in a church setting or service. 
On the other hand, personal relationships have become even more important in evangelism, with a majority of salvation decisions coming in direct response to an invitation given by a family member or a friend. That's a big statement right there. Now, have any of you, and it's okay, there's no judgment here, right? It's a judgment-free zone. And if it's not, then you need to change your heart. (laughs) It's a judgment-free zone. Anybody ever gotten sucked into an infomercial? Right? So I, I don't know what I was looking up. I was looking up something the other day on YouTube. I can't remember what it was. There's so many great, like, hacks and helps on there where I'm like, I don't know how to fix this tire, but everybody on YouTube does. That's awesome. I don't know what I was looking up. You know, but, but, but prior to, somebody had purchased some airtime, you know, and, and I had to, you know, they give you, like, X number of seconds, and in those X number of seconds, they're trying to hook you before you hit skip and you get into what you were actually there for. Next thing you know, I'm there for a half an hour. I was like, I just, the guy sucked me right in, you know? It was some sort of fat loss. It was like a miracle deal that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, <clears throat> I could use some of that these days. But uh, so nobody, uh, nobody identifies with that apparently. Okay, it's just me all by myself. You get all right, thank you. I need some help there for a second. You know, but it was like, you know, sprinkle this in your coffee every morning that you're already having anyway and lose 18 billion pounds by the end of the week. And I'm like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, like I have, so it, the infomercials, and they always do this. They always start out with this guy and he's like, I'm the, I'm a medically certified blah, 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 professional. I've been in the business for, you know, 8,000 years. Just so you know, I'm the most amazing person on the planet. I've been working with the Hollywood elite for the last 50 years. You know, here's a picture of me with Tina Turner, right? You know what I mean? And you're going, and so, and so what are they doing? Like, I mean, it's annoying as I'll get out. And it's like, you don't even, like, they're hoodwinking you. And you know what's happening, right? Like, like they're trying to build rapport with you. They're building trust with you. Because on the front end of that, if there's a moment where you're like, oh, well, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, after all, he worked with Tina Turner. You know, then he's got you, right? Like he has, he has pulled you right in, and now you may actually listen to what he's saying. Like, Maybe this isn't such a miracle cure. Misty, take a look at this. You know, she hasn't been sucked in by the trust monster, so she's like, shut that garbage up. Right? <laughs> You know, I'm showing it to her purely for my own benefit. There was, just in case that was confused, I wouldn't want you to think otherwise. But they're building trust with us, right? What happens if the salesman is your best friend? Let's up the ante just a little bit. What happens if your best friend comes to you and says, oh my gosh, I found this product and it is incredible. And, and here are the benefits that you've seen in my life. Do you trust them more or less than the stranger who was giving you credentials? You trust them more. Why? You have relationship, right? You're familiar. You, 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 you know them. You, you know them and you can, you can see the fruit of it in, in their lives. Like, it's like, I, I remember many years ago, in fact, it was 1998, I was sitting at a John Paul Jackson conference with Graham Cook and uh, maybe somebody else. And, and I was out of my depth, to be certain, you know, and people started to manifest under the power of the presence of God in that place, and it was the first time I had ever seen anything like that. Well, I'd heard of it. I mean, it was 1998. Toronto had just happened a few years before, right? I had heard of it. I was told, though, it was demonic and crazy Looney Tunes stuff. God doesn't do that, you know, but the, but the lawyer 
So I, I, I preface what I'm saying to say the lawyer, like, so in other words, he's educated and smart and professional and wears a suit and tie every day, right? You know, it's like, so it's that guy uh, who brought me to Christ is sitting next to me, actually brought me to this event, and he starts manifesting under the power of God. I'm telling you, I was like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I know you. I know you, and I know, I know that you're not crazy or wacky, or I know that you're as solid as anybody I've ever met in my life. And then I did something that I wasn't able to do with all those strangers. I said, what in the heck is happening to you? And to the best of his ability, he explained and knocked all of the mysticism and crazy off of it. And I was like, oh, okay. What was happening? I trusted him. And because I trusted him, I was willing to step outside of my comfort zone just a little bit and do what maybe I wouldn't have or experience or accept what I probably wouldn't have otherwise accepted. Many years ago with Josiah, who's sitting here on the front row, everybody, like, give us a thumbs up, man. Like, you have to understand you're going to be the only one left soon, so you are going to be the center of all of my sermons for the next five years. <laughs> just, so, just so you know, I, I forewarn you. You know? <laughs> Many years ago, Josiah was struggling with ear infections, you know, and, and we were at the point with the doctor where they were saying, you know, it's, it's probably time to put ear tubes in, and we did that with Elijah, and I hated it, you know, but, but we did. I mean, I, in my opinion, and I believe the scripture supports this, plan A is that God would just heal them, and how many of you know sometimes we fall short of that, right? Why? I've got a host of reasons why, but the biggest one is I don't know. Now you know, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> but... Mary Nell says, hey, uh, have you ever gone to the chiropractor? And as far as I was concerned, they were chirocrackers, you know. That's how, I was, that's how I was raised. These guys are crackpots. They don't know anything about it. What did they go to a, a, a weekend seminar, get a little certificate, and now they think they know medicine, right? You know, this is how I grew up. And so she's like recommending the chiropractor. And I'm like, what's a chiropractor going to do for the kid's ear? Like, seriously, like, you're probably thinking the same thing now. Like, this is crazy stuff. It, it seemed off the wall to me. But I know Mary Nell. Mary Nell's been with us for a very long time. I, I, I trust Mary Nell. I trust Ron. They're not crazy weirdos. No? And if anybody else thinks different, then, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> no. You know, they're not, they're not crazy weirdos. I, I, I trust them. I understand them. And she's saying, no, no, no. We, th- we explored this with our own children and had tremendous success. I think, I really think you got to give this a shot. And Misty and I had prayed about it, and, and against my initial apprehension, we decided to pursue that route. And the end of that story was we never, ever had to do anything with ear tubes because the chiropractor 100% dealt with it. It was unbelievable, almost like miraculous as far as I was concerned. I've never seen anything like it. I didn't like what he did. I felt like breaking his arm, but <laughs> you don't want somebody laying hands on your baby, right? I'm like, listen, bro, you're going to have to be more gentle than that, or we're going to have problems. Like, Papa Bear is just about to come out. But he fixed the problem. And, and I moved from this place of going, those guys are all crackpots, to this place of going, maybe there's something to this. But why did I make that transition? Why did I do what I would not have otherwise done? I did it because I trust Mary now. I trusted her enough to subject my baby to something that made me very uncomfortable. Why is it important for us to share with our sphere of influence because they trust us. And when people trust you, 
they might be inclined to do something that they would have never done otherwise, something that may push them slightly out of their comfort zones. This is why it's so important that we actually open our mouths. Because here's the thing, I may not be Billy Graham, (laughs) and I can surely tell you I'm not. But I might be the only one with the gospel that my sphere of influence ever gets opportunity with. And they may not trust Billy or Franklin, but they do trust me. And when you trust somebody, you're inclined to do something that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise done. Because you see their life. You see the fruit of it on display. And listen, I want to encourage you, even if some of your fruit is bad, it's better than it was. And don't let the enemy convince you that just because you've got a couple of bad apples on your tree still, that you can't somehow share the gospel. May I remind you that he pulled cussing fishermen into the apost- like into to being apostles who turned the world upside down. I mean, you've seen the chosen probably. You see that how they picture Peter, which I think is probably pretty close, if not a little under, what he actually was in reality. Right? Jesus isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for somebody who has a yes. He's looking for somebody who says, I got this. And, and it's like, you know, tell them what you do know. Man, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've screwed up some stuff. And I know I'm still on a journey. But I know this also. I know I'm not where I was. And I know that I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this fruit that I do have if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And I know this. I know he's the only way. You don't have to convince anybody. You just have to open your mouth and then let Holy Spirit do the convincing. Here the other day, and just so you know, this is my practice. I don't always do it well. Sometimes I just tell the Lord I'm too tired. (laughs) Just saying. But I do look for opportunities with strangers. I, I I do pray for my neighbor who is lost. You know, I do pray for family members who are lost. Even this last Christmas, praying and asking, Holy Spirit, do I say something now? Is this your opportunity now? Looking actively, engaging with God, trying to be what he's called us to be. <laughs> this last week, I, I took my car into the, the, the truck, into the mechanic's place. Fear not, it's a Toyota. It doesn't ever actually break down. I was there just to get the mandatory state inspection. <laughs> The, the last time we were there, it was because my wife ran out of gas. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, which I then did after that. So, you know, anyway, the guy was walking around really suffering in pain, the owner. And, you know, I also make it my intention to be missional in the way that I live my life, which is, in essence, what I just said, but, but to put a word behind it, which means I go to the same establishments and I build rapport with those people, you know, and, and I have a heart for business owners in this community. So I've been going there for a number of years now, and they know that I'm a pastor, you know, which means nothing, but at least they know that I'm a Christian in that respect, or at least I hope that's what that means to them, you know, and, and so when my business was concluded, I said, hey, could I, could I pray for you? Can I pray for that? You know, and he says, politely, with a smile on his face, no, I'm good. And I said, well, healed is a whole lot better than good. He says, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm good. I'm fine. It's, it's fine. 
And then I, I walked away and cried big alligator tears and decided that I will never, ever step out on a limb like that and share or ask anyone if they have need ever again because that was so tragic. No, actually, it didn't bother me at all. It, it didn't affect my life in any way whatsoever except that I prayed for him between the office door and my truck. Get him, Jesus, get him. Right? Can I just submit to you that, like, the, the, what is perceivably failure is not a big deal? It, it's not my responsibility to get him to say yes. It's just my responsibility to partner with God to see what the Father in Heaven's doing to, you know, and to offer. I've got a solution to that. Would you like it? He, he turned me down with no sweat off my back. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get crossed into this place and the enemy tries to convince us that because that guy said no, everybody's going to say no, nobody wants this message, and, and then we retreat back into the closet where, where we have this closet faith, this closet Christianity. We don't tell anybody about it, right? We're too shy now because we were turned down by that auto mechanic who, by the way, is your sphere of influence. Now, but here's the thing. You never know what God is doing behind the scenes. And honestly, I don't need to know what God's doing. I just need to do my part. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Well, unbeknownst to me, the Allens had their car up there as well. Unfortunately, it is a broken Toyota. God, God bless America. Okay, I'm looking forward to the rest of the story. So put a pause on that. Let's put a pin in that conversation and come back to it. Okay, can we do that? You know, unbeknownst to me, their van was actually up there to, to receive some service as well. And Scott, because of who he is, engages with the guy, you know, asking, hey, I noticed that you've got this problem. Can I pray for you? And the long and short of the story is the guy yielded and said, yeah, yeah, you can pray for me. Yeah. Now listen, would that have happened had I not been bold to do it first? Probably not. Probably not. Probably Scott would have got the big no that I got. But because I was willing to step in and take the loss to throw the seed, to prepare the soil, I prepared it for, what, for another one of God's workers to immediately come behind me. Can you just imagine this guy? This guy's like, who are these freaks? Why is, why is everybody asking me for prayer? Well, everybody happened to be from my church. Come on, it's happening, people. Come on, this is it. Like, that's what it looks like. You know, but I'm telling you, the seed that I sow, the little bit of cultivating of the soil that I did resulted in him getting a win. You never know that the, the, the denial that you get, the, the, the rejection that you get, it might literally just be another chip off of the ice, of the, like off of the, the stony heart that they've got that literally gives somebody else a win. Like some water, some till, some throw seeds. That's all of us throwing seeds, right? God is the one who gives growth. Like God knows what he's doing. He knows when the season is ripe, you know, and he's sending people. We actually have to obey regardless of the results. Like I'm not looking for results. I just want to be obedient. I let God deal with the results of it. That should take some pressure off of you. You're a freak. Yes, I am. I learned that one from Scott. <laughs> but this is an important message. And I, while I've got other examples, I think we'll have to stop with that. Because second service is coming. Hi, guys. Thank you for being on time. You're a blessing. Everybody but Bud. Shall we pray? I trust that this is hitting home, that it's making sense. I want to invite you 
one person, let me just say, I want to try to put this in perspective. If I had the opportunity this year to save one person, like, there's a sense in which, I mean, there's like, what, three billion people or something? Something, I don't know, 300 million or something in America? I can't remember, Ronald tells a lot of, there's a lot of people out there. If I got one saved in an entire calendar year, that's fairly insignificant. Do you understand what I mean by that? Excuse me. But what if everybody in this room or every couple represented in this room got one person saved this year? Like, it's insignificant in that that's a pretty low target. Would you agree? One in an entire calendar year? It's a pretty low target. But the next thing you know, 75 people get saved this year because of that low target that we had. Can you pray with me and ask God for one opportunity this year? Just one, just one opportunity. Like, do, you, like, do you think, like, this is another thing, wherever he went, that Pastor John Mark touched on. Sometimes we have not simply because we ask not. Would you ask God with me this year, just for one? What if every family in here got one person saved every year? This would be a mega church. I'm not looking to be a megachurch, but I am looking for souls. One person. Would you take that seriously with me? Would you agree to pray and look for your one person? I think if you get that one, you're going to get so hungry, you're going to want two. You get those two, you're going to start making this a lifestyle. Father, we ask that you do that indeed. There you are right in front of me. We ask that you would awaken us to normal Christianity, that you would do a work, that you would kindle the embers, the fire on the inside of us, that you would awaken us to the priceless value of humanity and your value, which you, yeah, your worth, your worthiness, is what I'm trying to say. Awaken love in us such that it overcomes fear in us. And I invite you right now for this year and for beyond, would you break fear in this area off of us? We invite you, come Holy Spirit, push us out of the nest, push us out of our comfort zone. We're even asking, even right now, because I think everybody here would want to do this. Father, we're asking for the one. We're asking for one salvation this year. Would you use me? Would you use us? to bring one person into the kingdom this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com.